Chapter 10 of Snarled Identities. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Harvey. Snarled Identities by Nicholas Carter. Chapter 10. The Impostor's Cleverness. You may take that for granted, of course, Griswold agreed in reference to the bogus detective's last suggestion. But Simpson was treasurer of the fund, Cray interposed. He worked it so the bank accepted his authority, and Gordon was studying the millionaire's face, and was clever enough to read what he saw there. By no means, my dear Cray, he said. Simpson didn't approach the Hatton Town Bank in his capacity as treasurer of the fund. He knew better than to do that, knew that he would have no standing there, unless identified and backed up by the organization itself. He knew, too, as I reasoned it out, that the bank would look for any action to come from the local newspaper, and would be off its guard if it did, the observer's man being naturally known to the bank officials. He was watching Griswold narrowly all the time, and saw that he was on the right track. Mean he had an accomplice on the Hattentown paper? demanded Cray, looking startled. By no means, Gordon returned calmly, still using Griswold's expression as a guide. There's such a thing, though, as impersonation, my friend. It was a venturesome leap, but it proved surprisingly successful. By Jove, ejaculated the millionaire, looking at the supposed Nick Carter in amazement and with a new respect. You have hit the nail on the head, Mr. Carter, how in the world? Gordon shrugged his shoulders. Oh, it was very simple, he confessed. I read it all in your face. He rightly guessed that that would not make it seem any less the remarkable in Griswold's eyes. I don't see how, declared the millionaire. Some stunt, Cray commented admiringly. I did just that, though, Greeneye assured the millionaire. Of course, I saw in advance that Simpson would have been powerless unless introduced by the manager of your local paper and supplied with credentials from the New York office. The credentials might have been forged, to be sure, but a local introduction would have been out of the question without the assistance of a confederate to impersonate the manager or someone else in authority on the paper. And if there was any impersonating to be done, it was clear that Simpson could do it himself. For the rest, I depended upon your expression, Mr. Griswold, to tell me when I got off the track. It is useless to try to belittle your achievements, sir, the millionaire told him. I consider it an evidence of most unusual ability. You have hit upon the truth in a manner that has taken my breath away. You are quite right, Mr. Carter. The trick was turned by means of impersonation, and the man impersonated was the business manager of the Hattentown Observer. Charles Danby is his name, and as it happens, he and Simpson resemble each other, more or less. Simpson pleaded overwork as a result of his extra duties in connection with the fund, and got permission to be away for a couple of days. Evidently, he lost no time in going to Hattentown, and there he presented himself 
at the bank in the guise of Danby. The fellow must have had nerve, contributed Jack Cray. Hard to believe he isn't a dyed-in-the-wool crook. It's almost incredible, Griswold agreed, but apparently there's no room for doubt that Simpson did the whole business. He was known at the bank, but no one suspected the deception. And the only thing the bank people can remember that was queer about him was his husky voice, which he attributed to a cold. In the character of Danby, he informed the bank people and showed a letter addressed to Danby and signed by Driggs, our vice president. The letter was perfectly genuine and had been dictated here in our New York office following Driggs' acceptance of Simpson's scheme for exhibiting the gold. Simpson had managed to get possession of it, however, before it was sent out, and the real Danby never got a sight of it. Naturally, the bank officials did not approve. The plan seemed too spectacular and altogether too risky. It was none of their business, though, and, and they finally agreed to an immediate removal of the gold. Simpson had a car handy then, queried Greeneye. Oh, yes, he had an electric outside. Uh, said he had just bought it at second hand. Hatton Town is a place of twenty or thirty thousand, you know, too large for everyone to know the business of everybody else. Consequently, the bank people had no reason to doubt his word. How about guards, though? Cray broke in. There were none, Griswold answered. The bank people claimed to have expostulated on that score, but Simpson scoffed at their fears. It was broad daylight in a peaceable community, and he had only a few blocks to go. He assured them, however, that the gold would be carefully guarded when it was put on exhibition, and reminded them that their responsibility ended when he had withdrawn the deposit. I forgot to say also that he presented an order on the bank for the withdrawal, signed by John Simpson as treasurer. So they packed all this money up, loaded it on the electric, and let him make off with it alone, did they? queried Gordon. Certainly sounds like small-time stuff. I suppose we can't blame them, though. They had plenty of reason to think that everything was straight. Anything more, Mr. Griswold? That's practically all, I think, the millionaire returned. We haven't notified the police or employed any other detectives. Therefore, we have been unable to trace the rascals' further movements. The only reason we know all this is that it has come out naturally. One of the bank officials met with the real Danby the next day and expressed surprise that he had heard nothing of the gold being put on exhibition. You can imagine Danby's consternation and the confidential reports that have been flying back and forth since then. Trail begins in Hatton Town, then, Cray mused aloud. We may cross it at some other point, though, hinted Gordon. Describe Simpson, please, Mr. Griswold. The newspaper proprietor fumbled in his pocket and produced a photograph, which Gordon took eagerly. Seen it already, Cray informed him. Face commonplace, easily disguised. The photograph was indeed that of a very ordinary-looking man. He was a little over 40, one would have said, but looked older. He was somewhat bald, wore glasses, which would make it difficult to determine the color and expression of his eyes, and had a rather weak, amiable face. 
In short, he belonged to the traditional clerk or bookkeeper type and seemed to be one of those men whose chief object in life is to hold down some poorly paid position and to cheerfully make hypocrites of themselves in order to do so. With that pictured face before him, Ernest Gordon found it very difficult indeed to credit Simpson with the cleverness and resourcefulness which had been so conspicuous in Griswold's account of the theft. Still, he knew that such men sometimes had flashes of brilliancy. Let's hope it's nothing more than a flash, though, he told himself. If he were to keep up that pace, it might not be such a cinch to corner him, but he won't. He'll have a relapse, and when it comes, he'll be an easy mark. He continued to examine the face in detail. You feel sure his wife does not know this crime? was his next question. Certainly not, was the prompt answer. That would have been unwise under the circumstances, for in her distress, she would probably blurt it out to her relatives and friends, and before we knew it, the whole thing might get into print. I have inquired about him, of course, and she may suspect, but that's all. Her address, please? Number 31 Floral Avenue, New Pelham. Gordon jotted it down on one of Nick Carter's pads. Now, will you kindly answer a question that has been puzzling me for some time? He went on. If we catch this man for you, or rather when we catch him, what are you going to do with him? You can't prosecute, you know, without letting the cat out of the bag. End of chapter 10. Recording by Paul Harvey.